Madam, I'm happy to inform you that one of the guests has arrived early. That's never good news, Mr. Darling. Yes, but he's had a mishap. Oh, lovely then. Continue. It appears that uh, Mr. Perkins has attempted to purloin a pumpkin from our permanent patch. His eyes have already begun to glow. <laughs> oh, dear. Uh... Please bury him in the ground up to his new orange noggin until after the reading, and then I'll uh, try a spell to repair him. It'll be a delight, madam. Happy Halloween, spooky lovelies. And welcome to the Midnight Library. I am happily your haunting host, Miranda Merrick. Please um, settle into your favorite spot in the reading room, and we'll all enjoy some dreary Halloween lore. I would love to offer you our snuggly slanket, but um, sadly, after the loreman's visit, it had to be burnt twice. I would like to take this opportunity to address a little something up front with you, um, our dear guests, as we're gathered here so conveniently tonight. Um, We've had several persistent inquiries from both the residents of the village as well as from the BARF Committee, uh, you know, the Bureau of Agriculture and Regulated Farming, All of them seeking to know just exactly why it is that a profusion of pumpkins continues to graciously grow with gusto on the grounds of the Midnight Library all year round. My first impulse is to retort with a short, well, that's none of your business, because it isn't. But in a courteous attempt at appearing to be forthright, I am willing to speculate in loose fashion as to why this wondrous phenomenon has been bestowed upon us. Well, perhaps it is some manner of yet unknown science, some uh, mysterious mineral that's present only here. Um, Conceivably, an ancient force at work could be a possibility, as the library is situated upon a verifiable ley line that flows directly from Great Britain. Although, in 1609, the kooky villagers did promise to burn dear Grandma Agnes for being a practicing witch, which their judge-approved decree stated would take place, and I quote, as soon as the last pumpkin was picked from the patch. Well, the optimistic villagers promptly began picking pumpkins and preparing for her future funeral pyre right in the center of the sprawling patch. However, Agnes, not being a woman to be toyed with when handed the endorsed proclamation, laughed and shouted, I fear not your flames, why wait? She gathered up her skirts in her small hands and dashed into the field of pumpkins and climbed upon the heaping planks. She stood proudly upright, 
shimmied her underpants down her fine legs and kicked them, flying high from her black-booted pointy shoe far off into the middle distance of the field, and calmly stated, Upon these grounds the blessed gourd shall grow, an infinity of fruit from this land shall flow. You shan't burn me nor my daughters hereafters, an abundance of pumpkins and darling witchcrafters. So, the field of pumpkins not only began to immediately regrow, but flourished in a manner unimaginable. The pumpkins were everywhere, and by their own decree, since the field never emptied of pumpkins, they couldn't burn her. So they hanged her, but her spell did seem to take hold, though I have no idea how the underpants play into this. So, um, let's go with the ley lines theory. It's probably the, uh, ley lines. It is true that we take great pride in the plethora of pumpkins our property produces. They look especially charming this time of the season, um, even though some of them haven't grown much hair just yet. The history of the sainted gourds may be a topic some of you are somewhat familiar with, but you've not thus far heard this tale told from a midnight library slant, I mean source. So let us dive into this prodigious pumpkin. As it is with many a long-held tradition, which this one thankfully survives to this day, the annual custom of carving expressive faces into the flesh of pumpkins is one that has been lovingly handed down to us by our forebearers, who dutifully lived in fear of unseen forces. Bless them. You probably know that in the earliest of times, it wasn't pumpkins that were used in the making of the horrific little faces, but instead, the wee heads were fashioned from gourds and large beets and turnips, which I can tell you can be even slightly more disturbing in their appearance. And yes, we grow these here too on the grounds of the Midnight Library. Of course. The notably Irish origin of the delightfully named jack-o'-lantern is a bit shadowy, but carries with it the distinct heritage habit of referring to a person by their first name, followed by an informative kind of label version of their last name, which could be a reference to their family, their village, or their occupation or practice the O being a shortened manner of saying the word of, as in the grandson of, the town of, the maker of, etc. So to this day we have such names as John O'Brien, meaning John the son of Brian, Finn O'Connor, which, um, apropos of nothing, long, long ago was pronounced more like O'Connor and meant lover of wolves and uh, my great-grandmother, Agnes O'Craft, and a cousin of mine named um, Belinda O'Broom. We have several books here that give the origin of jack-o'-lantern as being a 17th century blanket term referring to a night watchman, 
who in times well before the invention of electricity were men who walked through villages or patrolled castle walls and grounds with glowing tallow-lit lanterns at night to watch for invaders and thieves and highwaymen hoping to launch an attack under cover of darkness. In more of a folklore recounting from the 18th century, we have the appealing tale of an Irish blacksmith named Jack, who apparently wanted more out of life than his powerful hands could earn. So determined was he to have a rich life that he entered into a pact with the devil. According to their contract, Jack would live a long, healthy, and wealthy life, but upon dying, he would be doomed to an eternity of servitude to the dark forces of the night, all night, every night. His indentured, damned soul would walk the earth in total darkness. Not even the moon or a single star would ever appear. His spirit would never know the warmth or golden love of sunlight ever again. He signed, hoping it wouldn't actually happen by way of some spiritual loophole or some sort of forgiving divine mercy he'd heard the town churchgoers endlessly blather on about. But it did happen. When Jack dropped dead in his old age, Lucifer appeared by his slumped, wrinkled body with a stopped watch in his clawed hand. He gripped Jack's soul by the neck with his other hand and brought him face to face with the still clock. Time's up, me darling, the devil gently purred. And Jack was plunged into a vast, strange, blackened field with Lucifer being the only distinguishable faint figure far in the dismal distance, his throne of dimly burning embers providing more heat than light. Jack was alone with his one and only fear, his fear of darkness. He dashed to the broiling throne and threw himself down at the hooved feet of Satan and begged him for mercy. Satan, who's apparently an old softy sometimes, provided Jack with a single hot cinder plucked from his glowing throne, which he politely placed inside of a hideously hollowed-out turnip, thus gifting Jack with his tiny bit of comforting glimmer, and us with the very first jack-o'-lantern. See? So maybe don't believe every bad thing you hear about Satan. Friend, join our fire and we'll share our light. Come to the broom and fang this Samhain night. Just tap at the door and raise your lit gourd. Bring just yourself and your favorite Ouija board. There'll be music and mystics and danger and laughter. Mix with the living and a few from the hereafter. We'll dance and we'll chant just a bit round the fire. Maybe take a few sips to lift spirits higher. Raise a glass to the dead with a loud ringing clang. Enjoy the magic of the night at the broom and fang.
The next seat of origin we have for our beloved luminaries is born out of the fall season celebration of Samhain, which is not the evil-soaked forbidden holiday time that some ignorant people believe that it is, certainly not entirely, between October 31st and November 1st, but for some as late as November 6th to coincide with the midway point of the fall equinox and the winter solstice, Samhain is the ancient pagan observation of the turning of the seasons, the gentle shifting of Mother Earth into a more comfortable position to give rest to her northern lands that have dutifully put forth a bounty of green pastures and foliage and life-giving food for the multitudes of animals and people. For centuries before modern times, as the summer season drew to a close, and the daylight time shrunk, and the harvest labors were done, the people would gather in the dusky chilled evenings and light a warming bonfire. They shared the comforts that summer had provided, bringing bread and woven blankets, cider and wine. They would be thankful and surrender the living season and welcome the season of death. It was and is a time to remember and honor the dead. A killing frost would arrive, bringing death to the living landscape, and the people readied themselves for winter in ways we would never dream of doing now. They stored up grain. They made provisions for all their livestock. They thatched their roofs. They turned over the soil of their gardens and buried roots and pickled vegetables, and they made excellent practical use of the huge bonfire. The last thing you needed to happen back then was for your ever-present life-supporting home fire to go out. It was your central heating, it dried your clothes and cooked your food and provided your home with a kind of cheerful reassurance with its flickering incandescent light. The fire in the hearth of each home was set to light and kept aflame as long as humanly possible during the fall and winter months. If by chance your fire did go out and you didn't have or know how to restart it with flint or sticks, you may have to walk in the bone-freezing cold several acres over, or even miles away, to borrow hot coals from a hopefully good-hearted neighbor. When coming from miles around to attend the celebratory Samhain bonfire, the home fire was in danger of dying out, so the revelers devised an ensuring practice that would solve this problem in advance, should it happen while they were away. They would empty out a turnip or gourd, take from the Samhain fire a large burning ember or two, and tuck them inside of the hollow vegetable. One can imagine the cheeky carvers making the required holes into tiny faces. The little holes of the eyes, nose, and mouth would allow air inside of the turnip to fuel the smoldering embers with oxygen and keep them alight. To ensure this during their travels home, the lighted jack-o'-lantern would have a length of twine or leather tied to its top, or be grasped by its still-attached vine, 
and then swung at the reveler's side as they walked or rode a horse back home. The constant inflow of night air feeding the hot little coal and keeping it alive. I'm sure you can just imagine the illuminated grinning faces of the weird wee vegetables flying around in the darkness beside the souls who traveled home. During this dying time of the year, it was believed that the ethereal veil that hangs between the world of the living and the world of the dead became increasingly thin, so thin that the two worlds might touch and mingle. It was even thought that not every soul that dwelt in the realm of the dead was good, or even the actual soul of a deceased person, but could be instead an evil spirit, impersonating your and Minnie, or just a plain old devil or ghoul bent on lying to you, luring you, or possessing you. On these uncertain supernatural nights, the people sought protection from the free-roaming phantoms that were lurking in search of vulnerable mortals. They thought, as many do even now, that light could save them from the darkness. Their worried, fevered minds dreamed of ways to scare away the gathering ghouls first before they even seeped through the walls of their dim, drafty homes. They began whittling away at their stock of autumn gourds and vegetables, and later their pumpkins, cutting and chopping, scooping out the handfuls of wet, slimy guts, then etching in grotesque faces contorted with seething and frightening expressions. They then poured inside of the gourds melted wax and attached wicks of string, then set them ablaze and put them to work, guarding their doorsteps from the skulking spirits, hopefully scaring them away for good, which we all know is impossible. If you are looking for ways to truly enjoy the spirit of this blessed season in ways you've not partaken of before, we have just a few suggestions for you. Because speaking for myself, and I'm sure untold numbers of others, we find the season not only to be filled with such irresistible charm at this time, we are so taken with the mood and the colors and the beautiful dark dreariness it carries, that we happily choose to keep it with us and live our entire lives in its enchantingly grim atmosphere that blurs the lines between the joy of living and the sweet sorrow of death. I think some prefer to live in a permanent state of happy half-mourning. It keeps those we've lost a little closer to us. So... What can you do? Well, you could move closer to nature, if only to take walks far away from the assault of the sounds of everyday life. Focus like you've not tried before. 
Take in the richness of the colors, the feel and aroma of the air around you, the sound your feet make as you move along. Enjoy what the surroundings have to offer in a tactile way. Touch the bark, the mud, and the plants, even the dead ones. Careful of some of them, though. Embrace your newly discovered fondness for these sensual seasonal things by infusing them into your home environment. Purchase or even make decorations from the leaves and twigs like wreaths or a centerpiece for your table. Even if you're not a particularly spiritual person, a small altar of items plucked from nature and some scented candles or spiced incense that can be lit as you speak the names of those you hold dearest, be they living or deceased, can spark within you emotions and memories that perhaps you've been avoiding or forgotten about entirely. And who knows, perhaps by the lighting of these little devotional flames, you'll awaken a sacred emotion or memory for the living or possibly even a deceased loved one that you've named. Also, there's the activities of having for yourself or a few intimate friends a small bonfire, the surroundings of which you could fill with the seasonal bounty of leaves and pumpkins and corn stalks and bales of hay, and to actually visit the dead. Well, at least their quiet neighborhood. Uh, make a point of going to an actual cemetery, whether you know anyone there or not. Stroll the pathways, behold the silent graves, read the headstones, say their names out loud. You may be the only person to ever do this for them. And last but certainly not least, since he's at the heart of our Halloween reading. If you've not done so in years or since you were a child, or sadly believe you're too mature for such things, I invite you to ditch that dull idea and make yourself a jack-o'-lantern or several this year. Get in touch with the joy of creation and fashion your very own jack, complete with a wide grin or grimace. And if when you step back to examine and assess your handiwork and find your jack to be disappointing or a complete disaster, well, just creep across to a neighbor's house and abandon him there. For extra fun, leave a note inside that says, Love Grandma, or something. That's what we do. I mean, that's what we would probably do. Now, please, my dear guests, before you stroll our grounds tonight as you leave, let me ask, um, with all the good-heartedness I can muster, that even though the fields and surrounding forests of the Midnight Library are overflowing with the most luscious pumpkins you've ever seen, that you please restrain yourselves from picking them, or even venturing too closely to them because they will because we believe they have a dangerous but invisible fungus on them 
that could cause an allergic reaction or respiratory difficulty or implosion. So um, be safe and leave the pumpkins where they lie. Thank you all for sharing your All Hallows Eve with us, spooky lovelies. Please allow our handsome Mr. Darling to see you safely to the exit. Good luck getting back home and happy Halloween. Good night. Here's Mr. Perkins, madam, freshly dug up whenever you're ready. I raise this measure of blood and gherkins to free from the pumpkin this Mr. Perkins. Put back his head in its former fashion, not pumpkin orange, but its normal ashen. Let him learn it's not wise to commit such a crime. One should never steal from a witch so sublime. Enus, Minus, Minus, Moas. Let his pumpkin head now go us. <coughs> Stand him in front of the fire, Mr. Darling, so we can see inside of him. Oh, dear. Ugh, how utterly vile and disgusting. And that's coming from me, madam. Well, his head looks normal. I do pity any doctor who opens him up. Or anyone who shares a restroom with him. So, from this night forward, his innards will be gooey pumpkin guts and seeds? I'm afraid so. Can you believe what a blessing, Mr. Darling? Hardly, madam. Hardly. The Midnight Library is brought to you by Miranda Merrick and Astonishing Legends. Sound design is by Chris at Sounds Like an Earful. Please consider becoming our patron where everyone gets something by visiting patreon.com slash midnightlibrary. And for some real fun, check out the Midnight Library and Broom and Fang pub merch on redbubble.com. Just search Midnight Library.